It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. I hope you guys are all beginning to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, You know, I know here in South Florida, it's getting a little bit better, but you know, it's still, everybody's still wearing the masks and everybody's still paranoid, but things are opening up. So we're getting out a little bit more. Hope you guys are all well and um, and dealing with the stress of this quarantine. Um, okay. Managing things. Um, you know, it's, a, it's very easy to get depressed when you're locked inside. And, you know, I know I've had a few episodes of it and you know, in the course of these weeks, so I snap out of it. You know, I don't take it too seriously, but it's been tough. So, anyway, um, I'm glad you're listening today. Um, in today's special guest book, Out of Love: Finding Your Way Back to Self-Compassion, Marianne Ing- Ingham Ingheim, a doctoral student researching self-compassion, shows you how and why to be as kind and compassionate to yourself as you are to others. So the question is, are you kind to everyone but yourself? I see all these hands raising. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Marianne Ingheim knows what it means to face adversity and tragedy. She was raised in a rigid religious household. Depression and anxiety were constants in her life. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. She underwent a double mastectomy at 41. After that, her husband, whom she had decided to divorce, committed suicide. These challenges prompted her to probe her own psychological patterns and coping mechanisms. I'm sure you're all relating to this very well. She soon realized that her brutal inner dialogue and lack of self-compassion were under-recognized sources of suffering. Again, I see all the hands going up. They undermined her ability to face tough circumstances and made her feel as though happiness, even when life took turns for the positive, was out of reach. She committed to self-compassion, collected and customized a number of exercises to practice it, and saw changes in almost every area of her life. Marianne Ingham is a Danish-Norwegian-American writer, teacher, and Ph.D. student at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And today we're going to be talking to her about her book, Out of Love, Finding Your Way Back to Self-Compassion. Good morning, Marianne. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you. (laughs) It's so great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you. Um, So 
I think we all know that adversity brings us to healing. Adversity brings us to recreate ourselves because we really only have two choices. We can really recreate ourselves and find a way to live in happiness or we can just check out of life. So, you know, it's it gets to the point and you know and and with everything that you went through in a very short period of time, you were just pushed out of you know whatever was complacent about you know your your life and you were forced to look at it a different way right 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 yeah um and see the thing is i had before all of these things happened in the course of 6 months i had started you know i'd started reading about self compassion and intellectually i understood yeah it would be good if i were a little kinder to myself But really, it wasn't until these things happened that I was forced to practice it and forced to, you know, really look at my life and see, am I living the life I feel I'm meant to live? Am I fulfilling my purpose? It was, I mean, cancer was a wake-up call. Um, And so in that sense, it was a blessing in disguise. Um, not that, I mean, I wish it had, I, I didn't have to wake up in that way. Um, but sometimes some of us need something drastic to wake us up. And like you said, adversity can really, um, be an opportunity to craft a new life for yourself. Um, and but I needed self-compassion first. It's very hard to be brave when you don't have that compassion. It's so true. And when you, you know, it's interesting because you said you knew it intellectually, but you didn't really know it um, Mm -hmm. emotionally or how to do it. Uh, And I think we, you know, everyone who has gone through narcissistic abuse, which is a, a terrible, terrible trauma um it's the same thing what they know intellectually Mm -hmm. is not what they know emotionally it's very hard to bring those two together uh but you were raised you had a background of growing up in a strict strict seventh-day adventist home and you're you were basically told that you were flawed right yeah it's sort of um uh, the basis of, you know, it's this this born bad mentality that that you're born into sin and you need some. It sets you up for this kind of someone else needs to save me because I'm so flawed and I need to be fixed in order to be okay. And so it it led me. At, I mean, there are lots of factors to it, but I I ended up searching or creating these codependent relationships you know where where I wasn't ever enough in myself and so I was always looking for someone else to fill me and and make me okay um and and that's sort of the relationship I ended up having with my then husband it was a very 
dysfunctional codependent relationship and I didn't you know I was always um, he was very controlling in a subtle way and so I just never felt like I could I wasn't capable of anything you know I was small and incapable and fragile and so I ended up living this kind of small life where I was afraid of doing anything and he was always telling me, be be careful, you know, come back at a certain time because, you know, there are bad guys out there, you know. So, it, like, this whole environment of fear and staying uh, insulated in a way. And so after cancer, I was like, wait a minute, that's not who I am. I'm actually a very brave person who wants to be out there doing big things. Um, so that was a, a huge wake-up call for me. Yes, and um, and this husband really did a number on you because when you finally got enough courage to ask for a divorce, <clears throat> he went out and committed suicide. What the next day? Right. It it was the same. Um, so. Uh, I had sort of vaguely told him I wanted to leave. And I, I a ther- we went to see a couple of therapists, and the therapist told me, you have to tell him straight out. You can't string him along. And so I said, okay, but I need your help. Um, so we met together with a therapist, and he dragged it out on me, yes, I, I want a divorce. And my husband walked out of the room, and later that night, I got a call from the sheriff's department that that there had been a car crash. And the next morning, when I went back to our apartment, I I found a suicide note. Oh, gosh. Um, so it could have, you know, it could have, without the suicide note, I, it could have just been deemed an accident. But I guess he wanted to make it clear. <laughs> Wow. He he just yeah. punished you. He punished you in the worst possible way. How yeah. did you how did you cope with that? I mean, you must have felt horrible. I did. I I mean, talk about guilt. I already had a lot of a, a very primed guilt conscience. So I I mean, I felt horrible and and you know, I felt it was my fault. I mean, there was, and again, intellectually, I knew, no, it's not my fault. But I felt, every part of me felt that it was. And honestly, that, I mean, it was self-compassion. And so in the beginning, it was just about basic self-care. Like, was I eating? Was I sleeping? I joined a support group specifically for um, survivors of suicide loss because suicide loss is different from um, other losses. I mean, it's its its own thing. And so I, it was important for me to find a group that dealt specifically with that. And then it was just a process of trying to make meaning of everything and, and figuring out, well, how did I want to live now? And I, I did a lot of journaling, a lot of 
reflecting and and ended up going back to school because that, that was another thing. I really wanted to go back to get my PhD, and he did not want me to do that. And so I, I gave myself that. I went, I, I went back to school, and I just started writing. You know, my process is, is a lot of writing. Um, it's my way of figuring out, in, in my way of processing things and, and figuring out what is it I truly want for my life. Um, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of things. Like this, how do you move on from something like that? I, I don't think there's ever a moving on. It's kind of just moving through it day by day as best you can. Right. And, you know, now I'm in a much better place. I'm, I'm remarried. However, I want to say it's important, though, that you've got to find your own self-love first before you get into another relationship. I had to work out my stuff and, and come to a place of self-love before I could even think about engaging with someone else. That's a really good point. In Chapter yeah. 2, Chapter 2 is called Stories We Live By. So we really mm-hmm. all have a story. I mean, life is a story. We, if Every single person could write a book because life mm-hmm. is a story. So many things happen in, our, in the course of a lifetime. But um, you had the not good enough story. That was the one that Absolutely. you carried. Right. Mm-hmm. And you said, you know, every time you made a mistake, you would tell yourself the not good enough story. Um, you know, and so how did you, did you change the story? Did you reframe it? So I have consciously chosen a different story. So I'm, I'm, and it's a constant practice. It's not like I can say, okay, now I've changed my stories forever now I'm self-compassionate all the time it's a choice I have to keep making and so whenever I catch myself falling into that oh I'm not good enough then I try to reframe it to I'm learning you know I'm not here to be perfect I'm here to learn and and that kind of does that make sense like it's a it's a it's a constant choice. No, it these is. These are deep, deeply ingrained in us from when we're young, these core right. narratives of who we are. Right. So it takes a lot of work. It's, it's about mindfulness. It's about mm. paying attention to what is going around in your head. And that was the next thing I was going to bring up because um, we have to be aware of what's good for us and what is not good for us and we have to catch ourselves saying mm-hmm. these things and re- and reliving these things and saying no we're going to do this a different way um so chapter three is things we say to ourselves, and um mm. it's talking about the you talk about the the inner critic mm-hmm. so many of us i think most of us 
have um, that inner critic. You know, you say, I usually suck at, I'm so stupid, Uh, Mm -hmm. what is wrong with me, why am I so lazy, why did I screw up? Um, And you talk about the words, words always and never. I mean, to me that is, I cannot stand when people say always or never because that's absolutely not true. Um, but right. what is that about? What? How did you um, change your self-talk? Well, like you said, the first part of it or most important part is mindfulness so becoming aware of it and there are different ways like I mentioned this exercise of for for one week every time you feel bad about yourself write down the words that you thought what was what was going through your mind as you started to feel bad and so and then at the end of the week you can go back and read and see if there are any patterns so for for me for instance a lot of my criticism has to do with performance and achievement you know some for some people um appearance um it can be a lot of different things and so then i can start thinking about um changing that self-talk when i can catch it you know so when I can catch myself saying, oh, I never finish anything, I can stop and question, well, is that true? I never finish anything? Uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so it's, it's a process of, of becoming more mindful of what's going on in my head. What am I telling myself all the time? Because if, you know, we want other people to be, be kind to us, but if, if we're not kind to ourselves, I mean, that's where it starts, right? Absolutely. And a lot of us are beating ourselves up like crazy. Um, it's no wonder we're, we struggle. Right. And, you know, I think it's natural to beat, for us to beat ourselves up, but it's a matter of catching it, you know. And so I do mm-hmm. this thing. When I start to feel, you know, say, oh, why did I say that or, you know, whatever, when I start beating myself up over something, you know, I, like, divide myself and I have this Randy outside of myself and I have me and I and I have this conversation. And I say, so, Randy, look what you're Look how you're making yourself feel. It's horrible what you're doing to yourself. Mm-hmm. Would you would you do this to anybody else? Would you ever make try to make anybody feel as bad as you're making yourself feel? And she goes, "Well, no." <laughs> and I say, "Well, then don't do it to you." And so, <laughs> right, right. You know, great. And, and I, right, you have to have this conversation and say, "Stop it. Just cut it out." <laughs> And and I like how you you um, sort of externalize that voice and separate it from yourself. So like it's I mean it's a part of you. The inner critic is a part of you, but it's not all of you. Like there's you can sort of talk to the inner critic, let let her have her say, and then be like, well, you know what I I want to follow this other part of me. Um, you know, whatever you call it, inner wisdom or, um, I, you know, I I think we, there are different parts of us 
and we can engage the different parts and see and sort of decide who 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 do we want to run to run us that's true you know, do we want do we want the inner critic to be running us or do we want another part of us to be running right that's right yeah so um we all want to fit in i i know that People have a tendency, people that I've worked with um, through narcissistic abuse, people have a tendency to measure themselves by others. Mm-hmm. They look at other people and they think that they're doing better, they're feeling better, they're not having any problems, they're just skating through life just perfectly. <clears throat> Why can't I? Um, mm-hmm. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, um and and it's a natural thing that we have because we we long for belonging we want it's a deep desire that we have um which goes back to you know hunter gatherer days when we a person who was on his own was not going to survive you had to be part of a group and so we have this and plus we're very social animals so we we want to fit in, and this is where the self-criticism comes in because it's essentially uh, we're trying to preempt criticism from other people. So we criticize ourselves in order to catch anything we might do wrong, which will jeopardize our um, ability to fit in and belong. So it's deeply ingrained and it serves a purpose, but the problem is when when we're constantly trying to fit in um, and we lose sight of what we really want, you know, and actually that's not really real belonging, true belonging, when you're just trying to be who everyone else wants you to be. Um, it's it's hard though because it is so ingrained in us. But I think that's where self-compassion can come in and help. Um, because with self-compassion, your worthiness isn't based on the approval of other people or how much you achieve. It's you're worthy simply because you are, simply because you exist. And so. That's why I say belonging starts with yourself. You know, finding the belonging inside yourself. And from that place, you can go out and make healthy relationships. Yes, well said. We, you know, we need to embrace who we are in every possible way good and bad, mm-hmm. understand that we are unique, we are ourselves, we are entitled to feel the way we feel, we're entitled to have the perception and the beliefs that we have, whether anyone else agrees with it or not, we have to embrace who we are. Right, right. And that's that gives us a lot of self-compassion, first of all, and a lot of inner strength. You say mm-hmm. um you talk you say in chapter 28 um many of us operate 
out of a sense of scarcity, a belief that there's not enough for everyone, that we're not enough, and we better settle for whatever we can get. And the other part of it is that many of us grew up believing that life is a struggle, that happiness is either unrealistic or something that's supposed to happen in the afterlife, or I was going to say happen to other people, but happen in the (laughs) afterlife. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So... Right. You said um, for many years you thought you had to date whoever would, would have you, basically. Right. You know, you just right. felt like, right. right. How did you overcome and that? W- Sorry, what? Oh, no, I want to hear, say what you were going to say. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, and it, it, I don't know how common it is, but that was my experience that I I I felt like, I had to date whoever would have me. You know, if someone was interested, oh, okay. Well, then I'll then I'll go out with them. Um, or the same with jobs. Uh, oh, someone wants to hire me. Wow, you know. <laughs> and and so I didn't go for what I truly wanted. It's it's sort of a, a settling because you don't think you deserve better. Um, and that changed for me with when I left my husband and I began um, starting to do things I wanted to do a little bit at a time and realizing I was capable of doing this and this this is what I want and, and I'm, like, for example, going back to school. Um and I'm losing my train of thought. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> um, We're talking about but it, it now. But it, but it is, it is strange how we, uh, you know, and we, we think love is scarce. Well, no, there's, there's lots out there. And so when I started dating again after my husband passed, um, I... I picked who I was going to go out with. That was a big change for me. And I like to say that I picked my the husband I'm <laughs> I have now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. I I contacted him. I picked him out. Um and that was huge for me. Wow. I'll bet it was. Yeah, I remember um, going through that after a divorce and saying, okay, well, I'm same thing as you're saying. You know, I've always picked um, people who just who wanted me. Um, I don't want to call them less than, but they they just you know these weren't people who were striving in life. They just were sort of there. Mm-hmm. And right. this is who I attached myself to because I felt like I had more going for me than they did in, in friendships mm. and everything, everything. And after, mm-hmm. um, after my divorce, I made a conscious decision that I was going to change my patterns because who I was choosing was not working. I was not working for right. me. So right. you do. You have to make a conscious choice of how you're going to do this differently. And I always tell people, keep your focus 
on the future. Keep your focus on your end goal and measure everything you do up against that end goal. Is this going to help me get towards where I want to go? Always question yourself that way. And if it's right. not, if it's going to keep you stuck, if it's going to make you go, you know, backtrack, it's not the right thing for you. Right. The thing is, sometimes we don't know what we want, especially if we've been in confusing relationships, which you can talk more about, but we, what do I want? Some, You know, when we've been pretending to be different people with different, you know, in different relationships, it comes to a point where, well, who am I and what do I really want? And so for me, I had to do a lot of journaling to find out who I am and what I want. Um, and there, there are, you know, many ways people do it differently. For me, it's writing. But I, I think it's important to, to pause every now and then and reflect, okay, am I... Am I still on the path I want to be on? Um, and and many times we can we can we're, we're doing 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 going going. In a way, <laughs> being in quarantine has that slight blessing in that we have a little more time to reflect on yes, our lives. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's important, you know, to to check in with yourself every now and then, and and uh, make sure you're 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 living the the life you you want to live, and you're you feel like you're in alignment with your purpose. Mm, right. That's that. Yeah. That's exactly right. So let's because, talk about. Because and this about, is the other thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I just just to end that the um, other thing is with adversity is it it really puts that to the fore that wow life is short and precious and you know how am I going to live this you know um, having facing an illness like cancer it'll wake you up to okay this is it you know. It's not a rough draft or a, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I can, life, is, life is difficult, you know. They say this is Earth school. We're coming here to learn. Um, mm-hmm. And we, that's what everything is about. It's about learning and growing and not being stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, in Chapter 22, it's called Love Letter. And uh, you write, you wrote a love letter to yourself, and you suggest that everyone do that. It could be from your higher self, your inner wisdom, God, universe, but whatever it is, talk about this love letter um, that you wrote to yourself and how we can do it for ourselves. Yeah, so it it was difficult at first, you know, even just saying the words I love you to yourself, it's so foreign. It's it's like I can't say that to myself. That's selfish. That's um so when I wrote this love letter to myself, I wrote it from this 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 other place of me, whatever you want to call it, you know. 
Um, dear Marianne, I love all all of you, you know, and um, it was it was a unique exercise to do to to write to myself about how much I love myself and how much I believe in myself. I'm going to read the letter. Um, I'm going to read the letter. Okay. <laughs> you wrote, you wrote, Dear Marianne, I am writing this to you not because you are the best at something, the prettiest, the smartest, the anythingest, but because you are Marianne and there is nobody in the entire world exactly like you. I love everything about you, really. I love spending time with you. And I'm interested in how you feel, what you think, why you live. I want to hold you when you cry, laugh with you when you're excited, and be your very own best friend. I love you and will never leave you. I'm the eternal part of you, the energy of love always working for your highest good. Not because you have earned it, but because you have inherent worth. I believe in you. And I'll always have your back. Love me. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. I, oh my goodness, when you're reading that to me, it's like, oh, don't we wish people would? That's what we want, right? Right. That's the love we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can give it to ourselves. It's so yeah. true. We can. We really can. Um, and Let's it's very empowering about, uh, to realize that. Yes, it is. It is. You we know, are supposed you can to love ourselves. Be the, yeah, right. and and from and we, um, in certain relationships, we can we can come to really doubt that. We can come to really doubt our own strengths and and ability. Um, but we have a lot of inner resources. The thing is, we actually do cope with a lot of stuff. We survive a lot of stuff. And just think, you know, that that's something I think about now whenever I encounter a difficulty is, wait a second, you survived all of that. Of course you can do this too. Um, so it's it's empowering to think about having the ability within yourself to take care of yourself. You know, for the longest time I thought, oh, well, I can't take care of myself. I need someone else to take care of me or help me. (laughs) No, I have it in me to take care of me. Um, And that's huge. That is huge. And when you have this feeling of empowerment and self-love, you have so much more to give out. Mm -hmm. You know, most people who feel bad about themselves, who have these backgrounds where they've been told that they're less than, generally these people are very giving, loving people, often codependent. But, Mm -hmm. um, but, they want to give and give and give and give. But what mm-hmm. happens is, as they do this, they are depleting all their resources because they have nothing that refills itself. 
So if you want to be a giving person, a generous person, a loving person, you've got to love yourself because then it's always full and you have plenty to give. Right, right. And so it's so backwards when we we think that self-love is selfish (laughs) because we'll have more to give if we fill up our own, you know, cups first. Um, And so I, you know, self-care is part of that. And who we surround ourselves with, um, you know, I, we get to choose who takes up time and space and energy in our lives, Uh, you know, both in our heads, so our own inner critic we need to deal with, but also other people. Like who are, am I surrounding myself with a lot of critical people um, or people who don't believe in me? Why? I don't have to do that. Now, it it can be hard with family members, but I still, I think you, you have the right to choose who's in your life. Definitely. Definitely. We do. And it is very hard with family members. But, um, you know, you can set boundaries with family members and, you know, and sometimes they will accept it. You know, if something's not working out, you can set a boundary. But for people Mm -hmm. who constantly want to cross those boundaries and just want to make you feel bad about yourself, that's their whole goal. You have to stop. You've got to cut it off. Because all it's doing right. is bringing you down. And so, um, you know, I say no toxic people in my life. I, if something feels toxic, nope, <laughs> it doesn't come in. Right. Because right. I've had so much toxicity in my life before, that, and it was so hard to move past that, mm-hmm. that now I just don't let it in. It just doesn't come in. It's too much right. trouble. Right. Yeah, Yeah, because it's very hard to get rid of once it's in. Yeah, Um, it is. Yeah, and I, I think so. It, in a way, if we want to think about, think about it from a, um, what should I say? So sometimes setting boundaries can come across to to people like me as, um. Oh, I'm being I'm I'm pushing people away, I'm being selfish. But in reality, I'm taking responsibility for my life. And and part of that is letting other people take responsibility for their lives. You know, this codependency, I've been on both sides where I've I've been the one who needs rescuing and the one who wants to rescue other people and the the thing about wanting to rescue other people, it's just as bad because you're not letting them deal with their stuff in their own time. You know, when we try to fix other people, we're not letting them grow in their own way. And ironic, so this is one thing, I, a pattern I discovered in myself was that I was always trying to take care of other people. And in reality, I was abdicating the one responsibility I do, do have, which is to take care of me. You know, we're responsible for our own lives, first of all. 
um, and we're not responsible for other people's feelings. Um, doesn't mean we we go around being cruel, you know. But we we the love starts from within with yourself. Um, Absolutely, I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. You said you were saying, you know, people have people have their own path to walk. Just because right. it doesn't look right to us doesn't mean that we're supposed to interfere with it. And mm-hmm. um, and that I apply that mindset to raising children. I have adult children, and sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes I you know I've actually don't don't want to interfere ever and never have. But you know sometimes if I look at it and I say, well, that's not going right. Then I say to myself, well, they have their own path to walk. Just because they came from me doesn't mean right. it's my responsibility to run their life. They have their mm-hmm. own trajectory. They have their own lessons they have to learn. And I can't interfere and stop that. Right, right. And that, that's hard, <laughs> especially as yeah. a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. But, but when I tell myself that, when I tell myself they're individuals, they are of mm-hmm. me, they are not part, you know, they're not attached to me, they're not part of me, they are of me, mm-hmm. and but they are unique individuals with their own lessons to learn. So, um, and that's hard as a parent, you're right, it's hard to strike that balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about perfection. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfection. Okay. <clears throat> Why do we think we have to be so perfect? I, you know, I think it ties in with that wanting to belong and feel, and especially if we, if we grow up in an environment that um encourages or what what word should i use encourages perfection uh or maybe even demands perfection it's and and it's a trap that we can get into um i learned it you know i learned it from my mom who's a perfectionist and and this is so this is I'm going on a sidetrack here, but even okay. if we even if we have worked on our own, well, no, let me put it this way: even if we um, are are trying to raise kids with self-compassion, if we're modeling this perfectionism and and comparison um, and self-criticism. That's the part that they're going to learn. And so we have to really work on ourselves first. Um, and with a perfectionism, you know, it's, it's fine to be wanting to do your best. Um, I think it has, the, the difference has to do with the motivation. So are we, are we trying to be perfect to avoid making mistakes and disappointing people or 
are we motivated by, you know, this is something I'm passionate about and I want to do it to the best of my ability because I, I love doing this. So I always ask myself that, okay, am I, right now, am I just afraid of failing? Is that why I'm trying to perfect and perfect this thing I'm working on? Or is it really because I love what I'm doing? Mm. Um, that That has helped me to distinguish between you know, wanting to wordsmith and wanting to, um, it's it's the fear of failure versus the passion. Okay. Right. Yeah. I understand that. That's a great, that's a great distinction. I understand that. And that makes a because lot of sense. Because it's okay to want, want to strive to do your best. That's a good thing. Right. It's when we, it's, when we are right. in stuck in a fear of failure and and then that also leads to procrastination and then we're not getting doing anything exactly exactly Mm -hmm. when it causes stress in us you know when it's when it doesn't feel good that striving for perfection perfection um yeah I mean, I had a terrible problem with that. Um, my mother, my narcissistic mother, and I was her golden child, and she always told me, oh, you're perfect, you're perfect. Well, you know, when I got out into the world and everybody didn't love me just because there I was, here's Randy. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that. I did right. not know what to do with that. So when my daughter was yeah. born and my mother started saying to her, you are, per-, she started doing it to my daughter. And I would pull oh. my daughter aside and I'd say, no, you aren't. <laughs> no, you aren't Nobody perfect. Is. And, that, <laughs> and that's great. You know, I had to undo yeah. everything that she would do because it was so destructive to me. I wasn't going to allow that, you know. And, right. um, you know, I I think it's great to be able to laugh at your own flaws and, uh, <laughs> you know. You know, one other thing that helped me with perfectionism is, so one of the three components of self-compassion is common humanity. So realizing that we are all imperfect, we all make mistakes. It's not just me, it's all of us. That kind of lessens the... Um, okay, right, so I made a mistake. Yeah, we all do. Um, that part of self Maybe I should um, talk briefly about the definition of self-compassion. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's similar to the concept of compassion, which basically means to suffer with and to want to alleviate the suffering. And you're turning that, Inwards, um, Kristen Neff, who's the big researcher on self-compassion, she defines it as containing three elements: so common humanity, which I just mentioned, mindfulness, and self-kindness. And I love having, I love those three. You know, a lot of times we think it's just the self-kindness, and that's a lot of it. You know, the self-care and the self-talk. But it's also mindfulness, being aware of what's happening, and the common humanity, recognizing that we're we're all in this together, and we find ourselves here on earth doing the best we can. 
Um, and the best we can is good enough. And if we were perfect, we wouldn't be here. This is what this is why we're here. We're here to learn and grow. Yeah. Right. So none of us are perfect. Not not one of mm-hmm. us are per, you know, is perfect. Yeah. And the thing about, you know, the thing about measuring ourselves that way is if if you make an if you make a mistake, if you do something and you say, "Oh, you know, I shouldn't have done it that way." The thing about it is to learn from that and not repeat that. Mm-hmm. That's all. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can yeah. look at something that a mistake that you made and say, you know, all right, you know, I see where I went wrong with that one. Let's I'm not going to do that again. And mm-hmm. then that's how you learn and grow. But you can't right. learn you can't learn and grow if you don't make mistakes. <laughs> right. You have to. Right. Yeah. Right. And but it's interesting how we we don't start out with this perfectionism. Um, you know, if you think of a toddler who's learning to walk, they fall down and they get back up, and they fall down and they get back up. <laughs> it's not until later when we, you know, oh, I failed at that, so I'm just not going to do that anymore. Um, or this idea of wanting to do something perfectly from the start. Well, we, we're we never going to be, first of all, we're never going to be perfect. But second of all, we're never going to be perfect at doing something from the start. You know, we're going to fall down and that's okay because we're learning. And we learn until the day that we die. We're always learning, or hopefully right. we're always learning. That's, you know, not everybody does learn. Uh, so is there something else that you wanted to say? Uh, we're coming down to the, nearing the end of the show, and I want to give you that opportunity to, you know, say whatever message you, you think is important for us to know. Um, yeah, I... I guess I just want to say it's so important to 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 find our way back to self-compassion, to realize that we have that inside us and we always have. It was never gone. It's it's about finding our way back to it. And um, well, maybe I should say where you can buy my book. <laughs> And that that too, I was going to ask you that, absolutely. So the book is Out of Love, Finding Your Way Back to Self-Compassion by Marianne Ingheim. Um, Yes, Marianne, where can we buy your book? It's uh, available wherever books are sold, and I want to encourage people to support their local bookstores, which are struggling right now. Many are taking online orders, even though they're closed, so you can order it from there. And, of course, there's always Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Okay. So. And do you have a website? I do. It's marianneingheim.com, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E-I-N-G-H-E-I-M.com. Okay, perfect. Dot com, yes. Perfect. <laughs> so... 
how do we is there a way for us to i mean we talked about a lot of aspects of self love and self compassion mm-hmm. self compassion really um where do we begin? What is the first thing for us to do if we don't really get it that we're supposed to be compassionate to ourselves? What is step one? Well, I I feel like the first step is is the mindfulness to to become aware of it, um, to become aware of self criticism. And at the same time, it's hard to say what comes first because there's also just the um, the self-care and the um, the self-care and the the self-care and self-talk are probably right. the first things to start with um, because they they're the foundation for for everything else and if we can begin to be kind to ourselves we can start looking at you know other things our relationships are are the choices we're making and see if there are other areas where we need to be more compassionate but i think self-talk and self-care and what people don't many people don't understand is the should'ves, could'ves, would'ves, um, why did I? Those are that's mm-hmm. negative self-talk. Why did I do right. that? Why did I get caught right. up in that? Why didn't I know better? Um, you know, so all those things are negative self-talk. You're right. hurting yourself well, every time it, you say that. How does it make you feel? How does it make you feel? You know, if it makes you feel bad about yourself. Um, and that's why, you know, starting with uh, what are the self-critical thoughts can be a little in- intimidating. But if you instead think of, well, how am I feeling right now? Am I feeling bad about myself? Well, what did I just think that made me feel that way? Um, can be one way to get at. Because uh, a lot of times we, it's so unconscious. We don't know how horrible our self-talk is so it's sort of to bring it up from the from the depths of us and make it conscious become right. mindful of it yes yeah. become aware of it become aware of it mm-hmm. well you know yeah. to my listeners this um marianne um goes through this there's 60 six, seven what is it 67, you know the number, 67 um, topics that she covers. They're very short, very brief, but she covers Mm -hmm. all the aspects of self-love. It's really, really good Um, for anybody who is confused about what this is. uh, Marianne gives you a guidebook, really, uh, and and shows you what it looks like to to make these changes one by one. So... um, Excellent job, excellent book, and I'm really happy to hear that you're living the life that you cho- chose, um, and that all those things are behind you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just it's wonderful to hear your story, and thank you for thank you, you know for for bringing that message to all of us how to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. 
<laughs> I, I <laughs> enjoy talking pleasure. about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I told you we'd have a good conversation. Yeah. So anyway, well, thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. So we are out of time, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. I'm just checking my calendar here. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Um, Next um, Friday, June 12th, is the day that I will take your calls and answer your questions about narcissistic abuse. And you can also call and comment and share. So the number to call for that one is 424-220-1801. And the show begins at 11 a.m. Eastern. It's live and it's prompt. So um, so put your questions together. And if you have any questions but you can't call in or you feel intimidated, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com with your question. I will answer that on air for you. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.